Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now it's a good one this week. There's been a bit of a dearth, a bit mm. of a lack of proper JSA-related DC Golden Age-type representation or appearances yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen the JSA proper since we did the, the last JSA team-up. The last time we had more than one JSA member appearing at the same time was probably the See Nothing Spells of Abracadabra. Yes. Months ago. Uh-huh. But the Spectre's back this week, you'll probably be glad to know. Mm-hmm. doing issue three of the ongoing Spectre series, published on the 16th of January, 1968. And it's a good issue because it guest stars Wildcat. Well, we say guest stars. Yes, of course it's a guest appearance, because it's not. we're not doing an issue of Wildcat, guest star and Spectre. It kind of feels like it. You'll see, yeah, but you're getting ahead of it now, come on. <laughs> okay. You'll see what we mean when you do when we do the stories, listeners. Yes. Goodness me, yes. Issue 3 of the Spectre, cover dated April 68, released in January, and guest starring Wildcat. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Yes, at the top we have the Spectre logo in purple, with again the, the image of the Spectre just kicking out from behind the large S. It's very, very, very dynamic cover. We're above a city. At Gateway City, obviously, as as we discover. And on this cover, we have a costumed figure on the left. A very peculiar costumed figure. He's got this long cape. He's wearing strange purple thigh-high pointy boots. He's got a purple bodice on and some sort of, uh, almost like a gladiatorial helmet. Yes, it's, it's definitely a look. It's not the first thing I'd pick off the rack. It's probably the last things that would be left on the rack, mm. to be honest, if you're making a supervillain costume. Anyway, you've got this character... And he's hovering above the city, projecting some intense energy above him. Yes. And at the forefront of the cover, we have the Wildcat. Yes, Ted Grant himself. And he is being held tightly in some energy force field. And flying in to save the day, hopefully, is the Spectre. Yep, Spectre flying in behind Wildcat. Wildcat's in a sort of like pinky purple sort of halo. It's almost like he's being held in position. And this interestingly dressed... Gentleman who looks like he's wandered in from a Jane Fonda workout, perhaps. a very exclusive New York nightclub of the mid 1970s, is yelling into the air Spectre, you've no more chance to stop me from atom bombing Gateway City than Wildcat had. Terrific. So there we have it. Now, this is the Spectre guest starring Wildcat. Now, as we all know, Spectre was a member of the Justice Society of America back in the day. Made regular appearances up until the, the 20s of All-Star Comics. And Wildcat made two appearances in All-Star Comics mm-hmm. back in the day. Wildcat's two appearances. And it's debatable whether that counts him as a member, because I know a lot of people don't count Mr. Terrific as a member of the JSA back in the day because he made one appearance in All-Star Comics. But I think it's probably easier to argue that Wildcat was a full member. Wildcat's two appearances in All-Star Comics were after the Spectre had stopped appearing. And of course, they both appeared in the 1966 JLA-JSA team-up, so there's not a huge amount of an established relationship that we've seen in the pages of published comics so far at this point. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they interact and what happens now. We should also say that this cover is by the legendary Neil Adams, as of the internal artwork. Mm -hmm. And keeping count, this is the sixth Neil Adams cover. And I love it. I mean, honestly, I think it's it's a crack. I mean, it looks like the... You know, the golden energy sort of described around the, the bad guy. It looks like it's been painted, mm-hmm. you know, rather yeah. than just sort of like coloured in afterwards. It's it's gorgeous. That's enough. So shall we, shall we leap in? Let's do so. Yes. Okay. Now we open and it's not the usual customary opening splash page that we've had recently with a bit of a flash forward to an event in the story and a character telling you what's going on. Instead, we have an opening page that has a large panel at the top, which bears the legend Prologue. 
And it's some really weird, trippy type stuff going on, very reminiscent of some of the otherworldly stuff that we've seen in some of the Spectre stories before. Mm -hmm. There's definitely, I think, a touch of the Steve Ditko Doctor Stranges. Also a bit of Jim Starlin's yeah. as well. There's a couple of weird-looking aliens. There's a couple of moons. There's an alien at the back. Kind of hard to describe. Cosmic dragon, perhaps? Yeah, who sort of looks like he's fighting another sort of cosmic... Octopusy, squiddy guy. Type. Yeah, there's yeah. one He's a pale green, the octopusy guy, sort of purple. And there's bursts of golden energy and planets and stuff all around them as they're fighting each other. And we have a caption in this opening prologue that says... Embodied with faculties beyond human comprehension, two entities, their closest approximation would be the Earth terms sorcerers, are raging in furious combat. A mystic domain totally beyond Homo sapien ken is their battleground. Human values are completely unrelated to the causes of the conflict. Panel 2, we can see the, the green sort of dragon and the purple octopus guy. The green dragon is gathered together a big ball of orange energy and he's firing that. And the purple octopus guy is firing a bolt of yellow energy. And the caption for this panel says, Simultaneously, sinister spell bolts shoot out. And the caption for the next panel, Colliding with force unimaginable, they flare out in an overwhelming holocaust. You see massive big bursts of an explosion type situation. Over the page, top of page two, the caption for the first panel there says, Suddenly, there is nothing. The bolts have mysteriously vanished. And this panel shows the green dragon guy and the purple octopus type guy with his massive big weird mouth and his weird Mysterio style dome at the top of his head. Mm -hmm. Sort of gawping at each other across the void. It's quite funny. <laughs> and then the caption for the next panel says, Puzzling briefly, the combatants resume their duel. Yep, there's another burst of energy from each of them and they start fighting again. So. So again, this is like we've said some of the other stories we've done recently. There's a weird sort of panel layout. It's not very linear. Mm -hmm. There's kind of diagonals and panels are split into triangles and odd shapes. Makes a very dynamic storytelling. I'm going to stick my net out straight away and say I think this is probably, as far as illustration, this is the best story we've done so far. The last Neil Adams one we did was excellent, but this yeah. just takes it mm -hmm. to a next level. I mean, this, for 1968, if you compare how much the medium has evolved in the last few years compared mm -hmm. to you know some of the earlier stories, it's stunning. So, yeah. Panel 3 is a triangle that veers towards the right side of the page. It is captioned like so. What happened to the eerie eruption? Unknown even to the mystical fighters, the force of their spellbolts collision was so great that it pierced dimensional barriers. Yep, and we see the little burst of gold energy, and it looks like it has a little bit of a face. It's like a little star bursting out of an orange circle, mm -hmm. sort of shrouded by a, kind of some darker sort of clouds around the outside. So yes, the narration continues. Into the universe of the planet Earth and over the streets of Knickerbocker City. Knickerbocker City, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Yet another new DC city. Hope someone out there is keeping a note of all this and writing them all down. We see the burst of golden energy floating over a street scene. You can see a car parked on the pavement, civilians walking around. There's a guy, a thin-faced guy, short hair and a moustache with his hands in his pockets. He's the focus of the next panel as the narration continues. Striking the person of small-time crook, Sad Jack Dold. Burst of energy. Strikes Sad Jack, who turns around and thinks to himself, Huh? What was that? Sad Jack shrugs it off, keeps walking in the next panel, thinking, Must have been my imagination. I'd better hurry up or the gang will be sore at me. This is my first job with them and I don't want to mess it up. We have some narration to round out this page that says, For the moment, sad Jack Dold is unaware that he has been turned on. <laughs> but it will be only a matter of time until his mystic might comes to the fore and involves Wildcat and the Spectre. And then this caption is rounded out with a sentence that says, 
story begins on third page following. So yes, that's the prologue. The prologue, if you will. Yes. So, we pass the letters page for this issue, uh, after an advert with some model cars. And top of page three now, along the top of the page in large red letters. It's the title of this opening chapter, and it's called... Hang, Hang em up, up, Wildcat! You're, you're finished! finished. So straight away, we're straight into some action with Wildcat. There's a guy in a purple suit down on the ground, foreground of the panel. Wildcat's punching another guy in the background who's kind of got grey hair wearing a green jacket and brown trousers. There's a caption that says, With bone-crunching punches and lightning-quick moves, Wildcat has become the bane of criminals. Yet, on this particular night, the feline felon catcher of Knickerbocker City is hard put to subdue two lawbreakers. Wildcat's thinking as he strikes at the guy in the green jacket. My timing was off again. My fist just grazed him. The next part of the page is dissected with a giant Wildcat sort of logo, which has an exclamation mark and everything. It's really, really stylish. I love the way this is set up. Mm-hmm. It's almost 3D, yeah. um, very cinematic. After the, the large Wildcat exclamation mark, the guy in the green jacket with a schwump punches the Wildcat, connects with him in his stomach. Uh-oh, Wildcat thinks, not fast enough to judge. Oh! Then the next panel with chunks and whoops. Guy in the green jackets punch again at Wildcat, and the guy in the purple suit has grabbed a bit of wood that was in the ground in front of him in the first panel, and he's striking Wildcat in the back of the head. Wildcat's leaning forwards if he's going down, and he thinks, caught flat-footed. But then we see a police car and a wheeling siren in the background of the panel, and we have a caption that says, At the last instant, Wildcat hunches his shoulders against the battering. Top of page four, the police car has screeched to halt beside the pavement. The green jacket guy's got his hands up and Wildcat has recovered enough to punch the purple suit guy in the stomach. Looks very painful. He's crunching up nicely. There's a bit of a full moon moving in the background. Of course there is. Take a drink. And the policeman getting out of the car says, Okay, you two, get him up. All right, Wildcat, we'll take over now. Caption for the next panel. After secretly changing into his alter ego of Ted Grant, Wildcat wearily returns home to his plush apartment. Yes, we see Ted Grant. Standing in the doorway of his apartment. It looks very nice. There's some fancy artwork on the wall. There's a big plant and a rotary dial telephone and a table in the foreground. Ted stands in the doorway and thinks, two punk thugs robbing a grocery store and I wasn't able to handle them. Third time in a month this has happened. Me, the ex-heavyweight boxing champion of the world. Crosses to his mirror, stares at his reflection, thinking, in the old days, I'd have had those crooks all wrapped up for the police. To see these. Definitely showing some signs of grey here, there. Mm-hmm. Wildcat's thinking, hmm, look at that. Father Time is catching up with me. He's sat down, relaxing on a big, fancy, long couch in the next panel. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking, oh, what am I thinking? I've still got plenty of good years left. Don't know why I'm so jittery, though. <laughs> he's wide-eyed in the next panel, with a cigarette in his mouth and holding a lighter up in front of him. And he's now thinking, what's the matter with me? I shouldn't be smoking. I never have. I keep these cigarettes here for my guests. Oh, I'm doing things without even realising it. So we're now at the top of page five. Ted Grant's ripping open his shirt, looking incredibly masculine and buff, and virile in a way that only Neil Adams can render. And he's now thinking, this is getting to be too much. I can't wait till tomorrow. I have to go on patrol again tonight. Caption for the next dissected panel says, Jumping on the starter of his concealed Cato cycle, Wildcat roars down the streets and alleys of the city. We should probably describe the Cato cycle. The headlights sort of loom out of a cat head that's on the front of the bike. The, the front mudguard has this sort of appearance of jagged teeth. It's quite effective. As he roars along, Ted is thinking, 
I'll keep going till I find something, even I have to ride into the middle of next week. So, that was for panel 3 of page 5 says. While the feline fury scoots around town, literally begging for trouble, a scene is unfolding at the Knickerbocker Historical Museum. Yes, under a full moon, we're outside the Knickerbocker Museum. Big fancy ornate building, looks very much like the National Gallery as you'd expect. Large windows and columns, there's statues of lines outside on pillars. And someone have we met earlier on is looking at a piece of paper with a torch. Yes, it's Sad Jack. And he's looking at this piece of paper and he's thinking, I'm late. The others must be inside, stealing those stuffed extinct birds for some guy's private collection. I better take another look. See where I go and swipe in Oaha Ikea Aloha? Whatever that is. Yep. Caption name for the next panel. Thus, in his scouring search of the city, Wildcat chances onto the scene of the crime. Yep, the screecher breaks. Wildcat rocks up on the cat cycle, leaping off. We can see that inside the museum there's a bit of a flash of green light by the looks of things. Wildcat leaps from his bike, running towards the stairs. He's thinking, that flash! Spotlighting a crime in the making! Caption for the final panel of this page. Like a silent cat, the feline lawman pads across the museum threshold when... Wildcat rushes in. It's a creep. looks so dynamic. Love the way he's just zooming in the doorway. Looking up and spies a couple of goons, one of whom has already grabbed one of the stuffed extinct birds and got over his shoulder. You can see broken glass because they're making a grab for another one. And the first goon spots Wildcat and he says, Hey, look! And then his colleague says, Wildcat, what's he doing here? As Ted runs in, he thinks, What are they doing here? Neither of them is the one I spotted outside. Top of page six, fight commences. The goon with the bird over his shoulder throws it Wildcat saying, Cats like to capture birds, so here's a big one for you, Wildcat. With a wump, it collides with Wildcat's shoulder. Wildcat thinks, Ah, wasn't quick enough again, it caught me on the shoulder. The other goon says, <laughs> That's giving him the bird owl, baby. <laughs> Amazing. Then with a pow, Wildcat leaps forward, takes out one of the goons thinking, I have to rely on my left. Good to see it's the same old reliable. And then with a brock, he takes out the other bad guy, thinking, That's more like it. Killed them both with just two punches. Awesome. Left hand because he's gubbed his right shoulder. Awful. Caption then for this next dissected panel says, Meanwhile, in Sad Jack's room... We're with Sad Jack. He's looking at a glass case that's very helpfully labelled Rare and Extinct Birds. Sad Jack is thinking, Wonder why they keep these small extinct birds away from the large ones. Now which one is... Mm-hmm. What's that shadow? Yeah, looming over him, it's the silhouette of our wildcat. Top of page 7. Caption for the first panel. Like the shadow of doom, panic races through the thieves' brain. Yep, we see Sad Jack dropping his torch, looking very panicked. Wildcat lunges in, thinking, I knew there was someone else here. The one with the flashlight. Sad Jack yells, No, no, stop! And then the caption for the next panel says, Amazingly... Wildcat's come, well, to a full halt, and he's thinking, Huh? What happened to me? Can't move. He's frozen, sort of in a full running position, at one leg up, one arm down as if he's crouching to pouch, but he can't move. Sad Jack thinks, he stopped short, just like I... Then the next panel, Sad Jack is taking advantage of the situation with a schwam. He punches Wildcat, thinking, he's as stiff as the birds around here. Now he's even stiffer. The crash, Wildcat collides with the cases, and Sad Jack continues to think. Wonder how the rest of the gang is making out. For the next panel, he's caught up with his two colleagues, and he says... Come on, slowpokes, let's get going. Then one of his colleagues says, What happened to Wildcat? Jack replies, I took care of him real good. Okay, a slow dissolve. Final panel of page seven is captioned. 
Waiter at the gang's hideout. One of the goons is relaxing with the newspaper. You can see the other guy has a holster over his shoulder. He's taking his jacket off. And it looks as though Jack's making the coffee. <laughs> Jack's very pleased with himself for having taken down Wildcat. And he's shaking his fist in delight and power, I suppose, and pride maybe even. And he's saying, Too bad you couldn't see it. A flattened Wildcat with one punch. And holster goon replies, Oh, come off it. Give it to us straight. Conversation continues on top of page 8 as Jack says, It was like this, see? He, uh, was coming at me as I stood there. Suddenly I swung my fist. Now, at this point, Jack's pal with the newspaper stood up, throwing the newspaper down in the chair. Jack has sort of gestured with his hand, and his mate has gone flying with a crash back into the wall, collides with the lamp. Jack says, And out he went, huh? What happened? Ow! You tell me! You swung over there, and I got hurt over here! How'd you do it? I call it my mystery punch. Yeah, a nice close-up of Sad Jack as he thinks. And I ain't kidding. I knew leaving Gateway City would do wonders for me. Okay, in the next panel, Guy's picked up his newspaper again. Holster Goon has his arm around Jack's shoulder and he's saying, From now on, Sad Jack, you're going to be our strong-arm man. With that punch of yours, we can't miss. And he's thinking, I think the money will make off you too, stupid. His pal has picked up the newspaper, he's looking at it, and he says, Hey, listen to this. Million Dollar Gate expected a title fight. And as the other two guys come over to have another look at the newspaper, Holster Goon says, Yeah, it's the final fight of the heavyweight elimination tournament to replace the champ who got wounded in Vietnam and had to retire. Sad Jack puts a finger in the air as if he's had an idea and says, Why don't we grab that million? I can handle the guards. Yeah, Sad Jack's getting very cocky, isn't he? So, top of page nine, already? Caption for the first panel says, Next night at Knickerbocker Stadium, the usual celebrity introductions before the start of the fight. That's a tongue twist and a half, yes. Another slightly dissected panel. We can hear the cheers and applause from the crowd as the referee stands with a mic on a string that's come down from the ceiling, a loving arms, and he's gesturing to the chap beside him. And the referee is proclaiming, Let's hear it, ladies and gentlemen, for the retired, undefeated heavyweight champion of yesteryear, Ted Grant! Lots of applause and cheering. But then, caption for the next panel says, But then, as the fight starts, we see Ted Grant walking away from the ring looking very dejected, hands in his suit pocket, and he's thinking, Couldn't disappoint my old fans. But now that's over, I'll slip out of here in the darkness. Meanwhile, at the main box office... Two goons and Sad Jack are approaching the box office kiosk, and the guy with the newspaper is saying, Okay, Sad Jack, show your stuff. Jack's thinking, If I got things figured out now, I'll show them plenty. Then he says out loud, Everybody, clear out of here. This is a stick-up. Yeah, we see the people, the patrons in front of the, the box office turning and looking appalled. The next panel... We can see the silhouettes of some guards at the event running towards them. And Jack thinks, I'll play it for laughs. And then he says, Guards, drop your guns and stand in your hands. And then one of his colleagues who has a gun at the person in the kiosk says, All right, you fork over the million bucks. Now, in the background of the next panel, we can see that indeed the two guards have stood in your hands. One of them thinks, I can't get down. Another one thinks, I can't reach my gun. In front of them, Jack's laughing, giving it, <laughs> and he thinks, From now on, I'm known as Happy Jack. And then his colleague with the gun, who's abusing the tailor, is now saying, What do you mean you only got a couple of grand in the till? <laughs> Amazing. 
Top of page 10, the caption of the first panel. Just then, Ted Grant exits from the stadium. Yep, and the teller in the, the kiosk is in the process of saying, You've got to believe me, most of that million came from TV and tickets sold days ago. All I've got here are tonight's receipts. And Jack's pal says, Well, slip it out to us anyway. Okay, in the background now, Ted Grant's arrived in the scene. He spots everything that's happening and thinks, What's going on? It's that same museum gang. Caption for the next panel. Slipping back into the dark interior, Ted sheds his clothes and springs out as the feline fury. One of Jack's colleagues spots him and gets a fright and says, Okay, let's get going. What? Wildcat again? Back to finish what I flopped at before. Caption for the next panel. Before the surprised villains can react. Wildcat leaps forward, sending Jack flying and then knocking out both of the other guys. Wildcat rounds on Jack in the final panel, thinking... This is the guy who stiffened me before. I'll take care of him first. But then Jack gestures. There's a little bit of yellow energy. A little halo around his head. And he says, Freeze, Wildcat! So at the top of page 11 now, Wildcat is, well, very helpfully, he says, I'm paralysed in midair. How does he do it? And it looks like Ted's being held in a sort of golden aura. Sad Jack laughs <laughs> and thinks, This is getting better and better. I'm actually keeping him up in the air with my thoughts. Jack's two pals, they cover their wits and see Wildcat floating. And the first one says, Man, is that Wildcat wild? And the other guy thinks, Jack has to be using a gimmick. And then Jack himself says, I got me a nifty idea, gang. Take Wildcat inside. And then he thinks to himself, What I'm going to do will put me in the front page back in Gateway City. Oh dear, I don't like the way this is going. The caption for the next panel then says, Inside... Jack and his two pals are walking in via the exit, guiding Wildcat along in front of them. Jack thinks, Gotta do some hard thinking so everyone here hears me. And then he yells, Stop the fight! Everybody stay put! And we see the same waves of yellow energy that we saw when he was stopping Wildcat on the previous page, radiating out from his head, obviously affecting the whole crowd. The caption for the next panel. Still as a bellows fight painting, the crowd remains rooted as... Yeah. Jack has now climbed into the ring. One of his pals and with him, the other one's coming behind, guiding Wildcat in. We see the two boxers and the referee in the background, standing in the ring, as Jack says, You fighters get over in that corner. Harry, you be referee. Al, you act as announcer for the TV watchers. You TV people keep on showing this. You see that Al has leapt down and got the microphone from the little table at the side of the, the ring, and he thinks to himself, I'll make like those regular announcers. Then he says, Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness for the first time together in the ring Wildcat versus Happy Jack Dold. Wildcat's now standing with Jack facing him, and Jack says, I'm giving you a sporting chance, Wildcat. I'll unfreeze one of your arms and let you fight with it. In the final panel of page 11, Wildcat makes a swing with his right arm but doesn't connect with Jack, and he thinks, Some chance. I can't move the rest of my body. Jack laughs and says, <laughs> You missed by a mile. You've had your turn, Wildcat. We arrive at the top of page 12. Pouring on mental power like molten lead. Yeah, we see Wildcat cowering under the mental onslaught from Sad Jack. We see the crowd all around watching. Wildcat struggling, trying to stay up. And Jack says, Down you go, Wildcat. Caption them for the next panel. Without a single punch landing, the match ends. Wildcat's now down completely. And he's thinking, first time anyone had me on the canvas. Standing over him, gleefully crying as Harry, saying, Eight, 
nine, ten, and out. The next part of page 12, Sajak is leaning on the ropes around the ring and he's taking the microphone from Al and he's saying, Give me that mic, Al. Thanks for watching, folks, even if you had to. As soon as I make my getaway, folks, you can all move again. Caption for the next panel. As the fantastic felon departs. Interesting panel list. We've got some close-ups of some of the members of the crowd. And in the background, you can see Sad Jack, Al and Harry making their exit. And then Harry says, Wonder why the cops never showed. Jack replies, when I told the crowd to stay put, I must have also made everyone watching the fight on TV, including the fuzz, do the same. Gosh. So, top of page 13. First panel shows the crowd starting to recover their wits, pointing at the, the ring. Caption says, As the mystic mental criminal had proclaimed, his safe departure is immediately followed by the still audience coming to life. An embarrassed hush quickly falls as they stare at the spectacle of a hero in the midst of glaring lights, suffering the dismal dregs of defeat. The second and final panel of page 13 shows Wildcat face down in the ring, caught in the, the heart of two cross spotlights. Gosh. And this panel has a caption that ends saying, Life continues on the next page. Oh, that's deep. So, page 14 is a full page splash. It's an image of Wildcat lying face down in the ring and hovering over him, sort of as if he's emerging from a cloud and he's been flipped into negative. It's our pal, the Spectre. We have a title caption for this page and it says, Menace, Menace of the, the Mystic Mastermind, Mastermind starring the, the Astral Avenger, the Spectre. Terrific. And we have a caption box that says, On the darkest dregs of despair, in the suffering shadow of pain and defeat, the illuminating realisation that life and hope can and will go on. Brightening with the harbinger of hope, the once cold, lifeless stage of humiliating failure becomes witness to the shimmering shadow of the spectre. Over the page then, the caption for the first panel says, As if receiving the breath of life, Wildcat revives. With the spectre standing in front of him, Wildcat starts to get to his feet, saying, Spectre. You're a sight for sore eyes. Spectre replies, There is much that needs to be explained, but this is not the proper place. Come with me. Caption for the next panel. Transferred by psychic means to Ted Grant's apartment, the ex-boxing champ blurts out his story. Yep, so, see Wildcat taking his mask off, sat on his big fancy couch. The Spectre is hovering, cross-legged mid-air beside him. The curtains are open behind the Spectre, and we can see... Another full moon. Wildcat's in the middle of saying, It was like that crook's mind forced me to do what he wanted. I was completely helpless. I seem to be helpless in everything now. How did you get there anyhow? Nice spooky close-up of the spectre. He replies, Within my human self. And there's a tiny asterisk in a little caption box that says, Jim Corrigan, Gateway City Police Detective Captain. I was watching the boxing match on television when that voice came across ordering everyone to remain still. Instantly sensing mystical forces, I decided to investigate, but discovered I too was incapable of movement. When the audience was released, I came to your aid immediately. Slow fade. Caption that says, Meanwhile... Back with Sad Jack and his pals, counting their ill-gotten gains. And Harry's thinking, Happy Jack was the one who got this dough for us, but he's still dumb enough to settle for only 10% of the loot. Then he says, Here, Happy, this is for you. 
Jack's not having it though. He stands up and throws the money back at him, saying, Only a couple of hundred is my share. I'm fed up with you guys. I'm cutting out of here. Who needs you anyway? And Harry replies, Hey, don't get all shook up over it. You can have half. Tiny caption says, Continue the third page following. Pass an advert for some coins and the letters page for this issue. And then we return to story page number 16. And the first panel shows Harry and Al frozen in a burst of golden energy. As Jack sort of <laughs> looks back at them, waving, laughing and saying, Who needs dough? I can have anything I want just by thinking of it. Think that over, like the thinker statue, till after I bug out of here. <laughs> and now that he's said that, we can see that Harry and Al are sort of forced at the position where they've got a hand on their chin. And they indeed you know, do look a little bit like the thinker. By Rodan, yes. Ooh. I think it's very cool that Rodan is such a talented sculptor, given the number of times he's fought Godzilla. <laughs> well, multi-talented. Yeah. Really, yes, very good. <laughs> the caption for panel two of page 16 then says, In Ted Grant's apartment. Spectre's standing up properly now. Wildcat's still sat on the couch with his mask off and he's saying, It's up to you now, Spectre, to go after this mystical crook. Spectre doesn't look too happy about it, actually, is saying, I will, as soon as he turns on his powers again. Ah, receiving them loud and clear now. The next panel, Spectre starts to phase off through the wall. Wildcat calls after him. Wait for me. Oh, he's out of hearing. I couldn't help anyway. Caption for the next panel. In less than a human heartbeat, the spirit sleuth hones in on his quarry. Yeah, we see the Spectre phasing through another wall into the room where Harry and Al are, and Spectre's thinking, He is not here. He must have just departed. All that remains are these helpers. Al and Harry pull their guns, and Al says, The Spectre! How do he find out about us? Harry says, Feels so good to move again. Let's use him for target practice. And then the next panel, page 16, concludes with him finding the gun. Bam, bam, bam! Spectre seems to dissolve in a sort of blue silhouette, and Al says, Ha! We scared him away. Over the page to page 17, though, and Al and Harry turn round as they see the Spectre now standing behind them. Al says, he's back. What's he doing with our loot? Spectre's standing indeed behind them at the table. He's gesturing towards the pile of cash. And Spectre thinks, this stolen money will prove to be their undoing. And in panel two, you see him twiddling a finger. He has a helpful see-what-you-see thought bubble when he thinks, my cyclone suction is pulling them together, knocking them out. And he's created a little whirlwind, throwing all the money up in a twisting sort of spout, and with a chunk, Harry and Al collide head first, knock each other out. Tremendous. Very effective. Caption name for the next panel. Leaving the thieves and loot at police headquarters, the discarnate detective spirits his way back through the astral plane. Yeah, very trippy. Again, this is another page that's very nicely structured. There's some slight overlap between Alan Harry's mm -hmm. hands and feet over what's going on in the final two panels of page 17. Are again, dissected on the diagonal. And we see the spectre again flipped in its sort of negative, floating through a spooky, twisty tunnel. And he's thinking, According to his cohorts, Dald skipped out on the gang. He's not using his ability now, so I can't locate him. While waiting for the next contact, I'll look in on Ted Grant again. So we're back in Ted's apartment for this final panel of this page. It's a big painting or photograph in the background, sort of framed image that looks like it's, you know, one of Ted's former triumphs. Ted's in civvies now, he's no longer wearing his wildcat uniform and the spectre is saying, Ted, you're writing before like you considered yourself a failure. What brought this about? When we last battled together with the Justice Society of America, 
You were fit as ever. Ted replies, Sure, but then I didn't have problems like I've got today. Next panel, top of page 18. Spectre is sort of looming in the foreground as Ted leans down over his couch in the background saying, Everything was fine until four weeks ago when a crook here and there started getting away from me. Payoff came and I ran into this brain guy. I've lost my touch. Wildcat's finished. I has been. Inspector was thinking. Could hardly blame him for all this getting him down. Never having married and raised a family, his chosen professions as boxer Wildcat provided meaning for him. But now, after making a fortune in the ring so he doesn't have to work again, his age has started catching up to his Wildcat identity, leaving his life empty. He needs a new reason to go on. Something to do. Next panel, Ted's looking very deep in thought. It's an interesting way it's framed. Mm-hmm. You know, we see a couple of his trophies that he's obviously got from previous tournaments and we're sort of looking through them to where Spectre and Ted are. Ted sat and Spectre leaning forward, kind of rubbing his pal's shoulders to reassure him and he says, Do not despair, my friend. You have overlooked one of the biggest assets you have, your knowledge of boxing and the science of self-defence. Why don't you... And then we have a slow dissolve. Caption for the next panel. But let us leave our crime and spirit fighting duo and rejoin Happy Jack Dold sometime later as he leaves a plane at Gateway Airport. Yep, I can see the little set of steps coming down from the airplane in the background. A couple of other passengers. Jack looking very dapper in the foreground is thinking to himself. Never thought I'd come back to this rotten city. I could have gotten here on my own power, but I heard the spectre showed up after I left the hideout, and I sure don't want its anger with him. He must have found out about me when I used my brain power, so I took a plane. But now I'm here in my hometown while he's back in Knickerbocker City, so I'm safe. I'm going to get revenge on this stinking town for what it did to me. Everybody always kicked me around here. So, over the page. Oh gosh. Here we go. <laughs> right, this is weird. This is... Very interesting, because this is doesn't quite qualify as a two-page spread, but it kind of does, because the final panel of this page flows into the first panel of page 20. It's very, very striking, mm-hmm. and this really is what I was meaning when I was saying that as far as illustration and, the, and all that, this is one of the best things we've done so far. Neil Adams was next level. We get an inset panel, Jack snapping his fingers, and he thinks, I've got to do something that nobody will ever forget. What's the biggest blast I... Aha, got it. I'll blow up the whole joint with my own atomic bomb. Right, and there's a burst of energy around them in this next panel. And Jack thinks. But first, I'm going to deck myself out in a costume like the supervillains I used to read about in comics. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so we get a proper good look at the outfit that he was wearing on the cover that Pizzi described. So there's the thigh-length purple boots. It's like a stylized golden M on his chest with a cape fastened at the top of the M and this mm-hmm. sort of golden helmet that loops up over his head to a sort of point but it also looks like there's a, a bit of a cowl sort of thing with a you know, bit of space above his head as well it's horrendous it's very fancy it's like the worst <laughs> legion of superheroes villain you ever saw in your life it does look like Saturn girl boots to be honest yeah it's horrendous so he but you know he likes it he's happy so who are we to say the next panel shows him flying up away from the airport thinking here goes just have to think hard and paint the town atomic red. <laughs> he wants his revenge in Gateway. Caption them for the next panel. Unknown to the mystic mastermind, the Astral Avenger has returned to his host body in downtown Gateway City. Yes, this is a very good panel here. We're down sort of at pavement level, looking up beyond Jim Corrigan and indeed the Spectre as Jack flies overhead. 
Spectre's looming up out of Jim Corrigan's body. He's obviously, they've obviously spotted what's going on. The Spectre's going to deal with him. The Spectre's thinking, the last thing I expected was to see Dald here. Then the Spectre says, So long, Jim. I'm off to take him. Corrigan says, Careful. He's a tricky customer. So, the artwork is amazing. Yeah. Spectre flying up above the city. We can see you know, the big bridge spanning the river. We can see the rest of the city going beyond. There's a boat in the water. Spectre's flying up beneath Jack, thinking, He's gone berserk. He's trying to destroy Gateway City. I must act quickly. And this panel, as I said already, continues on to the next page. Listeners, if you haven't got a copy of Crisis Mutt Plus, the Team-Ups Volume 2, or a copy of Spectre Issue 3, we urge you to track them down yes. just so that you can behold the glory of this story. So, first panel then of page 20. It's kind of a medium close-up of Jack. He's gesturing with his left hand and creating a burst of fiery orange and yellow energy. And he's thinking, All right, City, your time's up. Burn, City. Burn! So the next panel, Jack gestures and hurls the ball of golden energy down towards the city. However, the caption for this panel says, Enlarging his spectral body, the ghostly guardian contains the mushroom cloud within himself. Yep. We can see it's almost like a detonation going off inside the spectre. The spectre's sort of glowing bright yellow himself as the, the atomic explosion bursts within him. And Jack thinks, The spectre, muffling the explosion. And then he continues to think of the next panel. And hurling the blast right back at me. Yep, because we see the spectre still glowing orange and yellow. It's fired a burst of yellow and orange energy straight back towards Jack. Over the page, top of page 21, Jack thinks, I'll match him, trick for trick. I'll move this stuff off into outer space. Yeah, Jack has, in a very Green Lantern style, has gestured in front of him and managed to form a sort of funnel-tunnel type effort so that the energy of the spectre has hurled at him has gone up this funnel and exploded with a baroom up in the, the skies far above them. In the next panel, get another <laughs> amazing look at Jack's horrendous costume <laughs> as the spectre strikes him from behind with a burst of golden energy, thinking, I'll slow down his time sense. Make whatever he sees blur in front of him. Then I can make my move to draw the powers from his brain. Panel three of this sequence, a close-up of Jack's eye, as he looks at his hand and he thinks, Everything I see, like looking at a speeded-up film. Can't think straight. Better get back on the ground. Yeah, it looks like his hands vibrate in front of him. The caption for the next panel then says, To the spectre's dismay, he discovers... Yep, Spectre looks like he's concentrating very hard here. There's a stream of golden energy coming from his eyes and he's thinking, I cannot absorb his powers. A sense that they originated from some outside mystical force implanted in his brain. That means I must catch him in the act of using his powers to wrest the force away from him. Gosh, right, so the final panel of page 21 is a caption that says, So down by the swirling Mississippi, the ghostly guardian puts his plan into effect. Yep, this is kind of cool. Spectre has flown down to the river. He's grown his hands to enormous size, mm -hmm. pushing them forward in front of him, creating a big funnel of water that's flying up towards Jack. The Spectre is thinking now, I've restored his time sense to normal, so he can act to protect himself from this threat I'm shoving at him. So the first panel, page 22, you see that Jack is creating a sort of square orange and yellow energy force field to try and stop the water that the Spectre has forced up at him. Spectre's flying up from the water towards Jack and he's thinking, Now, as he concentrates on defending himself, and then he gestures in the next panel with his hands, thinking, I draw the mystical force from his brain. And we see, in the background of this panel, Sajak's costume has evaporated, disappeared, and he's back into his green suit. 
and the little circle of golden energy with a sort of orange star at the heart of it that we saw at the beginning of the story that bumped into Jack and set all this off has been drawn out of him and a spectre is managing to pull it towards him. The caption name for the next panel on page 22 says Travelling with unlimited celerity, the Grim Ghost journeys to the edge of time and space. Now, the fact that he's described as the Grim Ghost, does that justify us doing an episode on the Atlas Comics character? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> we might just do that anyway. We'll mention point. him when we, do, when we mention one of the other Atlas characters that we're going to talk about, probably. So this is a rather impressive panel. The Spectre is flying through, as it says, the edge of time and space. He's gone cosmic, like he's done in most of the other 60 Spectre stories that we've mm-hmm. covered. And this looks a little more, I can't really say photorealistic. It's almost collagey. Yes, there's a touch thing with that thing. The fumetti. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the sort of stuff that Kirby did for a while in Fantastic mm-hmm. Four and Thor. The Spectre's flying, there's a couple of planets. There's one that looks like an eyeball. There's a big sort of grey cloud. The Spectre's flying through it all, pushing the ball of golden energy with a the bright orange star at the heart of it in front of him, and the Spectre's thinking, After depositing the force here, where it cannot be used for evil again, I'll make another deposit at police headquarters. Happy Jack Dold. So yes, obviously he's leaving the golden energy in the cloud. Wowza. Best place to store anything in the cloud. Over the page then, to page 23, and the first panel has a massive caption that says, Epilogue. The caption for the first panel says, Weeks later, as Detective Captain Jim Corrigan is in Knickerbocker City for a police convention... You see Jim, he's a little bit of paper in front of him. Probably directions or a note of the address to Grant's Jim. Because that's what we can see. We can see a building, there's a sign on it that says Grant's Jim in red with a yellow background. Jim Corrigan is thinking to himself, This is where Ted Grant works now. I promised him I'd look him up the next time I was here. Caption for the next panel. Inside. And Ted is punching away a punching ball with a couple of kids standing around watching him as he's instructing and Ted is saying now fellows when you're getting ready to set your opponent up for your right-handed blockbuster you first lead with a left jab like this strikes the punch bag we see Jim Corrigan standing in the background the next panel Ted is standing with a couple of kids one of the kids says thanks for showing us that champ one of the other little boys says it'll sure help us to handle ourselves Jim watches all this thinking look at Ted beam as those kids thank him Caption for the next panel. After the session is completed, the two friends chat. Yep, Ted and Jim. Ted's obviously coming down, towel over his shoulder, and he's saying, I'm all charged up helping those kids along. I realise now that I can't expect to last forever as Wildcat, though I'm still ready if needed. Meantime, I have my work cut out for me right here. Caption for the next panel. As the ex-champ, now instructor, goes to shower and dress, leaving Detective alone waiting. Yep, Inspector emerges from Jim. Jim says, You did a fine job of counselling, Spectre. Ted's a changed man. The ghostly guardian replies, Thanks, Jim, but really it was something Ted had to do for himself. Spectre continues in the final panel, saying, Ted had spent his life completely immersed in his work, which is a way of life can easily collapse, as it did in his case. I merely suggested that he shift his interest to people, using his gifted abilities to help those he meets and works with, to live more fully in some way whether by teaching youngsters how to box or helping society capture lawbreakers or just brightening a friend's day by greeting him with a smile. And we're rounded out with a caption that says, We'd better quit while we're ahead before author Mike Friedrich gets carried away with philosophical ramblings. The Spectre will be back next-ish. Don't dare miss it. Tremendous. And there's a nice Neil Adams signature in the Spectre's cloak, just in his hood. 
Very nice. Very nice. Very, very nice indeed. It's well, quite, it's quite good having Neil Adams and Mike Friedrich on the same page, but not actually as yes as captions, but basically telling you who did the art and who wrote it. Yeah, it yeah, helps. Very interesting. That was, that was cracking. I loved that. That was a great issue of Wildcats, guest starring the Spectre. <laughs> no, I think it was pretty evenly, pretty evenly sort of. I mean, it was obviously Ted was the focus of the first half, and then yeah. Jim swooped off as it went cosmic. Then they actually, you know, they make a pretty good team. Yeah, but it's, it's so weird considering you know they've basically, from what we've seen, hardly met yet. They're just acting like old pals. Mm. Uh, Ted knows that uh, Jim is the Spectre, and you know, yeah. That's interesting because we haven't really had any of that. Yeah. And uh, anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I say, their only meeting prior to this had been that they both starred in the '66 JLA JSA team up and probably didn't really share too much in the way of dialogue in that story. No. Nope. Well, it's just that I suppose it just hints further at what the JSA have been up to in the, yeah. you know, off camera, as it were, when we weren't seeing what their their adventures were involving. I suppose the untold stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I did like the as well as that kind of meta appearance he had in that panel where he was pushing things beyond the, the realm of, of time and space which he's done before he did that in one of the showcase issues yeah. as well yeah he, I mean, he, that, he imprisoned was it Shathan there or something I can't uh, remember that whole sequence at the end when the spectre I mean I fully expected another three pages of him actually battling that little orange disc yeah, yeah. so I was quite surprised when that didn't happen mm-hmm. if it was Gardner Fox that's what would have happened yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's been the precedent certainly for you know mm-hmm. quite a lot of the story the other ones that we've done mm-hmm. On page 12 as well, I think there's a bit of that kind of like photo collage in the, the fighting ring, the panel where Wildcat's being crushed mentally yeah. by Sad Jack. You've got this black and white image of the crowd and there's too much detail in the faces for it not really to be like a photo or something. Mm. I think there's definitely some sort of photo effect on it and it's got the kind of grayscale yeah. uh, dots over it. So yeah. I'm not sure exactly how the process for that, uh-huh. but yeah, it's something artistically really interesting and something yeah. we've not really come across before. Yeah, it's next level. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Neil Adams just sat and drew it all out to make it look as if it was a photograph effect. He's so skilled. <laughs> it's a cracker. I mean, I properly loved that. That's the first Spectre story we've had that's not been done by, by Gardner. Yeah. Not counting the Brave and Bold story, obviously. It still went a teeny bit cosmic towards the end, but it was it was just nice to have a, such a grounded one. And I think the Spectre worked really... The contrast between Wildcat and Spectre worked really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grant's gym has become quite a familiar thing over the years. Yeah. You know, as a setting for Wildcat. Definitely. It's, it's uh-huh. kind of the origin of that, I suppose, actually. It's kind mm-hmm. of nice that it's been set up. Wildcat will appear again fairly soon in a contentious Brave and the Bold issue. Well, I say fairly soon. It's probably a few months away at this point. It'll be interesting to see how that reflects on this story, if it does indeed reflect on this story. I don't really have very much to add beyond the fact that I loved it. The artwork was amazing. It felt, you know, the idea of a normal guy getting zapped by something cosmic and going about weird and having powers and the spectre stopping him felt very familiar. Mm-hmm. But it was a nice little melding of that urban sort of wildcat story with something that was, to be honest, for the spectre's point of view, very like what we've had for him before. But it was yes. a, it was different enough that it felt. And the artwork, I mean, those scenes when they're fighting above the city, that was mm-hmm. astonishing. It was nice seeing Wildcat back as a guest star with another JSA because obviously we had that yes. with the Starman and Black Canary in, yes. in the previous Brave and Bold story. That was great fun. I sort of wonder, like, would they, you know, would they have given any consideration to a Wildcat ongoing series at this point? Because I can imagine it working very well. You know, the yeah. setup is he's in the gym, some mm-hmm. of the kids get in trouble. There's a protection racket sort of thing going mm-hmm. on, so they find a dead body in the gym, something like that. You know, there could have been all sorts. There could have yeah. been real. But I mean, it might not have lasted longer than ten issues, maybe. <laughs> But, you know, that would have worked very well, I think. I would have liked to have seen it. Yeah, I mean, the balance of this is very much like those previous GSA tryouts because you've got the more cosmic level, like Doctor Fate, and the more ground level, like Our Man. Yeah. You know, and you've got that in this as well, mm. and you could argue the same for Starman and Black Canary. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a nice balance of that. I think the balance is the best it's been in this one, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, it, definitely. It, I think it gelled mm. very, very well. 
mm-hmm. compared to the showcase ones with mm-hmm. our man and Doctor Fate. As good as they were, I don't think they they really blended. Yeah, I think the the spectre being able to come down and talk to Ted really made a difference. I think. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, this is Mike Friedrich's first spectre story. Long time listeners might remember that he has appeared on the podcast before in the letter columns. Mm-hmm. And indeed, talking about the Spectre. And in uh, Showcase Issue 64, he has a letter, which I think we covered at the time, but it's worth going over again, bearing in mind he is now the Spectre writer. Yes. And that letter goes like this. Dear editor, the Spectre has come. So what? That is my reaction in 10 words or less. <laughs> Showcase 68 no reason for this opinion. It fulfilled the biggest and best publicity build-up in comics history in every way. The story was excellent, the art was Anderson, and it even had two reprint panels on page three. Plus one of the most dramatic covers in a long time. But this is as far as it goes. What can be done further? Fox can improve. Anderson can improve. And covers can improve. But the Spectre can't improve. He is. Nobody can beat a perfect hero, as this issue proved. No one can come even close. The big fight scenes from page 20 to 23 make for excellent art scenes, but the grim ghost, there it is again, Mm -hmm. wasn't even scratched. To sell a story, there must be a basic rule followed. A conflict between good and evil, hero and villain, with evil having a good chance of winning. Eliminating the last clause makes for some very dull stories. Therefore, the spectre can't go on, and I hereby cast my vote for not... Giving him his own magazine. Wowza. Says Mike Friedrich, Castro mm. Valley, yeah. California. <laughs> I do remember his cover. So that letter was in... Uh, that was in Showcase 64. Right, yeah, I do remember his That was uh, the third Spectre tryout issue. Yep, so here he is somewhere later and he's actually writing a character. I mean, Yeah, writing this character that's impossible to write. Because it's interesting because the Spectre almost worked as a... Is it DSX Machina or Machina, however you pronounce yeah. it? Because he didn't have too much of a tussle. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing actually we haven't really talked about there was the Sad Jack arc itself was quite interesting. Going yeah. from No Hoper and mm-hmm. becoming, hey, and then, right, I'm going to take my revenge on those that have got me beforehand. Yeah. Because he was, you know, petty criminal comes big sort of thing, comes good mm. sort of almost. That was quite interesting. And then nearly becomes a mass murderer. Yeah. Which is horrific. Uh-huh. Especially in that costume. Yeah. Because he was about to do something really awful and the mm-hmm. Spectre was probably the only person that could have stopped him because yeah. Wildcat couldn't. So mm-hmm. I suppose that, yeah, it worked worked fairly well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many more of them that Mike writes and if we can see if he kind of holds to his own formula yeah. a little bit, you know. That's probably one of the reasons why he focused on the ground level wildcat and didn't yeah. have Spectre appear until page 14. Yeah, so I love the Spectre's entrance though. The dramatic negative yeah. look. Yeah. That panel is going on, on the socials, oh, that yeah. was just tremendous the way that you know, Wildcats and then Jim sort of like, you know, folding in above him, it was tremendous. It also introduces the title of the story on page 14. Well, we unless, <laughs> I mean, I think it was a game of two halves. I think the first half had the, the hanging in there, whatever you call it, Wildcat, and then that was the, you know, I think it was, you know, Mike's just less one of them, obviously, you know, if you're using mm. that as your resource. But I think there was this was two chapters. Chapter one was the hang on in there, Wildcat, or give it up, Wildcat, you're finished, and then part two was whatever it was, because I've put the comic back in the bag now, listeners, and I can't be bothered digging it out to check. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was chapter one and chapter two, so yeah. I'll leave it up to you to decide which one you use when you, when you list it. <laughs> Just going back to the story for a bit, I thought the use of the Spectre's time sense power was bizarre. I've never seen that before. No, I mean, either. it worked enough as a distraction uh-huh. to keep Jack busy for a second whilst the Spectre had another. Yeah, so that was, I, I quite liked that, to be honest. It was um, it was pretty cool the way you know, 
Spectre's like, right, hang on a minute, I need to yeah. need to regroup. It's a shame he didn't use it against Captain Skull or Shathan or any of his previous... Or any of the other ones. Yeah, yeah it's very handy. Maybe he'd been practising. <laughs> Maybe he just suddenly remembered that he had it. Who knows? You know? Hmm, no. interesting. Anyway, so, um, shall we... Yes, the, the letters are from issue five, mm-hmm. this time, from Spectre Graphs. Do you see what they did there? Yes. It's yes. quite good. So the first letter goes like this. Dear Editor... From fan writer to fan pleaser, Mike Friedrich has definitely shown that he has the ability to write excellent stories. Combined with the superb pictures by Neil Adams and the guest appearance by the Wildcat, the script has made Spectre number three one of the classics of this age or any other. Mm. Hype. Blimey. Mike has shown great ability in three different dimensions of writing, caption, dialogue and theme. His greatest asset is his way with captions. He has used them minimally and those that he did use have a rare quality of excitement. Most writers save their most vivid adjectives and participles and garons for dialogue. That our boy, thank goodness. His dialogues are also very good. Where some writers tell too much and leave nothing for the reader to figure out, Mr. Friedrich has not fallen into that trap. The word balloons are again kept to a minimum, but they're also more exciting than most. That's a fair point. Yeah. There's a lot less say what you see, uh-huh. and much less of that going on in the captions. Definitely, yeah. Definitely case. The letter continues. The central theme was great. It's about time we had some super people, not just superheroes. The human element combined with the titanic fight between the Spectre and Jack Dold lifted this issue to great heights. Neil Adams' tremendous artwork should not go unnoticed amidst the raves over Mike's story. In the span of one issue, he's made a colossal improvement and he was very good even then. He has overcome his greatest weakness, occasional awkwardness. What? And has actually come closer to characterising people in ink than any other artist I can think of with the possible exception of Joe Kubert, close brackets. As for the letter called title, how about the inner spectrum? And that's from David Lewin, Lomita, California, who, if you remember, listeners, had a letter which we read out when we did Green Lantern 59 very recently. Mm -hmm. So, editorial response to this one is... The title heading winner by reader vote was Spectrographs. None of the other suggested titles came close. They didn't have a ghost of a chance. Though young Mike Friedrich's Spectre story was ravified by a majority of the readers, we are counterbalancing each cheer with a follow-up jeer. That's the weight it goes. Oh dear, says the editor. Anyway, right, next letter says, Dear Editor, Menace of the Mystic Mastermind is too plain, too mundane and too moralistic. Goodness me. There is no sense of awe accompanying the story. Instead, for the most part, the tale is concerned with human failings. And I surmise, psychology. For a supernatural character such as the Spectre, this could be disastrous, since the attention is shifted from the Spectre's mysterious powers and mysticism to Wildcat's personal problem. This unfortunately results in author Mike Friedrich's philosophical ramblings, a major defect in the story. Authors who preach to their readers tend to incur their readers' resentment and greatly undermine the effectiveness of their writings. The story's secondary plot is much too familiar and simple, centering around the lowly crook who is suddenly imbued with unearthly powers and seeks to rise above his station. This is the same basic theme employed by Christopher Marlowe in Dr. Faustus, a simple play which, though lacking good solid characterisation, surpasses Menace of the Mystic Mastermind in achieving its purpose. While the reader is prepared for Faustus's final frustration and defeat, there is no similar justification for sad Jack Dole's conquest by the spectre. Faustus causes his own downfall, but Dold is the victim of unfortunate circumstances and is not evil incarnate. Therefore, the theme of good versus evil, supposedly symbolised by the Spectre's duel with Dold, actually does not exist. 
The entire conflict, moreover, is further reduced as the device to help support the major conflict. Wildcat's struggle with his failing ability. Since the Spectre's chief function in the episode is to combat Dold, the Spectre is also reduced to a supporting character. Wildcat is the centre of the plot and the resolution of his conflict is the actual climax of the story, although it might seem to be the denouement since it occurs in the epilogue. The total result is a... <laughs> this guy is incredible. The total result is a confused story with emphasis on the wrong character, assuming that the Spectre is the chief character in his own magazine. An ineffective and anticlimactic subplot and an unfortunate attempt by the author to moralise. Now, there's no editorial response, but I mean, that's a fair assessment in a lot of ways. And you you know, you made the, the comment at the start that it's an issue of Wildcat guest starring Spectre. Yeah. But the trouble is, there's nothing wrong with doing something different. Mm -hmm. Why not have a, a guest hero who doesn't have his own birth turning up, taking the focus with your main regular guy coming in and help? That's... Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they may, as, and as I speculated, they may have been considering giving Wildcat his own book and this would have been an effective backdoor pilot. Indeed. If you pardon the expression. That very wordy letter was from Fred Webster Jr. from Jersey City, New Jersey. Yeah. That definitely the most pretentious and up itself letter <laughs> I think we read out. I mean, comparing it to Faust is fair enough. But I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think he was he was set up as even attempting to be evil incarnate. It, no. was, it was just like, it was a side a effect of, a, idiot. of two cosmic baddies. Uh-huh having a fight and this thing he flew off and had the effect mm -hmm. and it empowered this guy and let him have a bash. I was extremely satisfied by it. I mean, I can I can understand everything that, that Fred is saying there is criticism, but mm. I don't agree with any of it. So, there you go. The next letter is from Dennis Casey of Glenrock, also in New Jersey. And he says, Dear Editor, three cheers for Mike Frederick. The Spectre number three was a masterpiece. Yes, it was. Mike Frederick's choice of words using fairly intelligent terms was very good. The use of a prologue to establish background for the story was excellent. The action never lagged, but kept going steadily, with the fight scenes never getting dragged out long enough to make them boring. But best of all was the whole concept of the story. In another magazine, by another author, Dold, the small-time crook, would have been gifted with great intelligence. He would instantly understand how he received his new power of forcing anything into submission, and would concoct a fantastic, intelligent scheme to conquer the world, but no, he remains the same slightly dumb man who never understood his power more fully than anything I think I can make happen. He was given no great genius, was still stupidly impulsive. I got it. I'll blow the whole joint up with my own atomic bomb. Mike Friedrich can live up to his debut masterpiece. He has my vote as the regular writer of the Spectre. And as you say, Dennis Casey, that's, that's interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Making the point that Jack was sad because he couldn't, his own ambition wasn't really anything yeah. further than just Petty revenge in a fancy costume. That's it. Very interesting. It felt a very modern, very Marvel sort of story in a way, didn't it? Yeah, that's a very good comparison. It's the sort of thing that maybe with a little bit more of a shift onto Jack's point of view, it could mm. have been an a Kurt Busiek Astro City story or something yeah, almost. It kind of felt a bit like Sandman or like a Spidey villain like that. Yeah. Aye. Yeah. So very yeah. much. So we have one final letter. Indeed, and it says, Dear editor, I wish to comment on issue three of The Spectre. The art was done quite well. <laughs> but the story left much to be desired. I really can't say anything about former fan Mike Friedrich's work just yet. Having done a lot of writing on the side, I know how tough it is when someone condemns you on the basis of one story. But this story didn't appeal to me. Truthfully, I couldn't find the plot of the story at all. It either wasn't there or was just about <laughs> as thick as water. <laughs> when I... <laughs> Sorry, this is, this is brilliant. Yeah. When I reached page 12, I rechecked to make sure that I wasn't reading Wildcat comics. <laughs> there were quite a few minor flaws, such as the brief fight scenes, 
that I won't bother to point out you just did. Uh, <laughs> suffice it to say, this story was probably the worst bit of fantasy. Oh, hang on. <sighs> suffice it to say, this story was probably the worst bit of fantasy that National has ever Good published. Grief. And that's from Lee Salem, Brooklyn, New York. Editorial response to that, which we'll see very quickly before we discuss that later, is How'd you like that? The debate's hardly warmed up and we've run out of space. You know, like? Okay. An extra page of spectrographs awaits your pleasure further on in this issue, so don't miss it. Oh no, we've got more letters. I mean, we've already talked about the, the sense of it being a wildcat story, but what I liked was the fact that the fight scenes were so brief. Mm hmm. Because it left room for the rest of it. It didn't feel at the end at any point it was too rushed. The only, yeah. the only point it maybe felt condensed was at the point when Spectre pulled the power back out of Sad Jack. Yeah. There were so many points in so many stories recently when we've had a caption which has said, oh, and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. especially that Metal Man one we did. And you know, oh, you're know, yes, you at a massive, uh -huh. felt like two pages have been cut out and, you know, mm -hmm. at that point in the story. So I think the balance in issue three was really good. And I disagree there's a brilliant letter from Lee, but I disagree with the nub of his jest, to be honest. So we're at the second letters page then, Spectrographs Extra. Pete's going to do the first of these letters. Dear editor, give Neil Adams a free reign and you get layouts and artwork bordering on the Spectacular. <laughs> How many comics, including those from the DC stable, give you an epilogue, a prologue and two stories within the story in one issue? And how many artists would add the unique touch of giving the guest star his own splash page title and first billing? Inspector Issue 3 accomplished all this with thanks to Mike Friedrich for a fine plot. Of course, Inspector did not begin to use his powers until the end when his battle with the costumed Jack Dold began, but it displayed the ghostly guardian in a manner akin to his Golden Age image, and that's the way he should be treated. He differs from all other superheroes when he is devoid of human qualities and earthbound consequences in the performance of his missions. Wildcat was treated with exceptional taste, being a human with no special superpowers. It is only understandable that he had to lose some of his strength and agility. He has to be at least 45 years old, and was at best a supporting feature in Sensation Comics and second-line member of the JSA. Therefore, his retirement satisfies our desire that he be honourably handled as just reward for his past deeds as a member of the immortal DC Hall of Golden Age fame. All in all, this third issue rates as the best yet. It had a little bit of everything and will be hard to surpass. And that's from Howard P. Siegel from the Bronx. Wowza. Yeah, that's fair. The next letter. Dear Editor, to put it bluntly, Menace of the Mystic Mastermind was pretty tame compared to the adventures of the Spectre in issues one and two. Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't like this letter. The story wasn't up to par for a number of reasons which I shall now state. One, Mike Friedrich seemed to have forgotten the rules on how to produce an excellent story. Oh, God. Was this written by a 1980s Doctor Who fan? As shown clearly in his first comic novel, Mr. Friedrich first of all left out real action needed in most every tale. It's almost like these people just want a simplistic yeah, they do. fight scene rather than anything with a bit of depth. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the Bring Back the Monsters Brigade and Doctor Who fandom in the 80s. Anyway, Mr. Friedrich first of all left out real action needed in most every tale if it's to sell like hotcakes. Instead of pure action in the form of full scale fights, the reader received small, insufficient battles incapable of making a person feel real, honest-to-goodness excitement. Comics are grown up, mate, I'm sorry. Secondly, the plot was just as dull and monotonous as the battles for the simple reason that it took the ghostly guardian only a minute or less to put an end to Happy Jack Dold's career of crime. In the Friedrich novel, the answer to stopping the criminal took barely two steps, which was very unwise. Usually, all comic magazines show the solution to ending the rampage of a villain slowly and in a number of steps so as to let the reader observe and comprehend what's happening at a moderate rate. However, again, Mr. Friedrich did not heed the precepts of comic writing. Enough about this. <sighs> mm, okay. 
Point number two, Wildcat seems to have too much of a role. The feline fury had absolutely ten pages of the whole issue devoted to himself. Not only that, but Wildcat appeared later briefly with the Astral Avenger from page 14 to practically the end of the tale, making everyone feel as though the comic should have been named Wildcat. Calm down, man. They're all, they don't like this at all, do they? <laughs> Actually, Wildcat services were not needed, for the disembodied detective did all the battling with Happy Jack Dole while Ted Grant sat at his home and felt sorry for himself. Read the story. <laughs> Honestly, point three. The expectation of gazing at the team of Wildcat Inspector, slugging it out against a formidable foe, all but vanished when I realised that Wildcat had everything but the idea to join forces with a ghostly ally. In fact, I was more than wrong because the feline fury instead gave up completely his work as a costumed lawman. No, he didn't. He talks nope. about still doing it when it's necessary. Yes. This guy has really missed the point of this whole issue, hasn't he? Yep. Now, to further back up my statement, I would say that Mr. Friedrich wrote that Spectre story just to get some philosophical point across to us, not really planning to produce a blockbuster of a tale. That was his downfall. Thus, with all these reasons squared away, all I will state is that unless Mike Friedrich can make a better novel, I suggest he stick to letter writing. I think this person's jealous. I think so too. Dan Diaz, Santa Clara, California. Yeah, that was, mm-hmm. was a bit of that, but also a complete resistance to even try anything new. I mean, I can understand that to a point, you know, mm-hmm. if you like a traditional type of comic story and our new writer comes along and does something completely different, of course it's going to wrong foot you. Yeah. But no, I did not agree with any of that. <laughs> Let's see if you agree with the next letter. Okay. Dear editor, Mike Friedrichs did a bang-up job on Spectre Issue 3. Not only did he successfully incorporate science fiction into the story, a seeming impossibility for Spectre, he even successfully incorporated Wildcats, and this for a hero who really needs no one else. Opening the story with the Wildcat side instead of the Spectre was a stroke of genius, and that prologue really added to both. Then when the Spectre joined in, I thought I was in one of the best-handled stories I've seen from DC in years. What got me most in the whole story was the characterisation. Not only were the Spectre and Wildcat beautifully characterised, but even the villain, Sad Jack. Naturally, the two main characters were flawlessly depicted. I expect no less. Wildcat losing his nerve and Spectre coming to his aid was not only a very good subplot, but added considerably to my knowledge of both. Good point, actually. Mm -hmm. And the development throughout the story of Sad Jack from a run-of-the-mill two-bit crook to a minor god thirsting for revenge was nothing short of magnificent, superior to the development of any minor character DC has yet produced. Yep. Yes, he'll go far, that Mike Friedrich. And all he really needs to do is uphold the standards set here in his first story, and it is actually his first published story. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, and that's from Harrington G. Purvis Jr. <laughs> from New Orleans. There you go. I think we should start reading the, the letters and the accents <laughs> of the people. Again, that's someone that's open to it and probably mm-hmm. receiving it the way it was intended, as, yeah. like, you know, as opposed to the person that didn't. So, right, the next letter, and the last two are both a lot shorter, listeners, you'll be glad yes. to know. The next one was like this. Dear editor, I think that Friedrich should be sent back to his California Valley and Gardner Fox put back in the daughter driver's seat. Without a doubt, Spectre 3 was the worst issue yet. In previous stories, Spectre showed up in 60 panels, give or take a few, but how many times did the ghostly guardian appear this time? A miserable 28. Please quit this! I didn't want to see the disembodied detective. I wouldn't buy this mag. And that's from Ted Young, Garden City, Mitch. Where's Mitch? Michigan. Michigan. People are just not grasping are they but they were 28 glorious panels too. yes they were 
every bit of criticism I'm seeing is mm-hmm. coming from the point of view of we didn't really want this to be a wildcat story. We want where was yeah. the, hang on, where was the spectre? They're yeah. not receiving it on the fact that everything said that Freddie could said about to make the spectre. I mean, get Gardner back. No, this is. Mm-hmm. I mean, much the love them the Gardner story. They were very formulaic. Everyone yeah. could beat for beat was practically identical. Yeah. And no one seems to be appreciating just the story for what it was, which was a story about a middle-aged superhero. Mm-hmm. Feeling a bit old, mm-hmm. but getting a new bit of purpose with the yeah. Spectre being there to help him along. I think they're just not ready for the, the maturity of, of yeah. Friedrich's writing, it's, to be honest. It's probably been the best focus so far of any of the JSA's ageing. Yes. In any of the stories that we've covered. Absolutely. Which, even though it's the tail end of the 60s, you know, is an obvious factor for all of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been great. touched on very, very little, maybe slightly yeah. in some of the G. Uh-huh. ones, but, you know, this is the first one to And, really a, and a bit when Robin turned up. Yeah. The grown up Robin. Aye. Uh, this is the first one to really, I suppose, address the downside. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just don't like the realism of it. You know, maybe it's yeah. one thing we've talked about many times is how so many stories of this period ultimately feel completely disposable. Mm-hmm. They're almost in one eye and out the other. But this is really substantial. Had yeah. some interesting stuff to say mm-hmm. about the, the villain's ambition. And mm-hmm. the real, you know, as we've said just there about you know Ted Grant getting older and you know, and it didn't follow too many of the tropes that the, the revived Spectre stories have done. Yeah. So all these people disagreeing with it, I think they just missed the point. And they kind of felt more like people than characters mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. That's that's the thing is, and as much as we we love the Gardner stories, that's great. Yeah, Gardner would have written them more as characters mm-hmm. and basically to service the plot as opposed to mm-hmm. having the characters themselves have personalities and feel more realistic and with their real issues and real problems yeah. and I real mean, motivations. Even just the, the interplay between Jack, Al and Harry was sort of, you know, even just the way he yeah. said, here, Al, give me the microphone, all that, that yeah. sort of stuff uh-huh. was, you know, is this the beginnings of the Bronze Age? You know what? We're just coming right up for that and you can smell a change in the wind. Definitely a shift here. Okay, mm-hmm. so... Pete's going to read the final letter. Yes, relax, folks. Last one. Dear editor, complaint. (laughs) Oh, no. The spectre wasn't aloof enough. He wasn't mysterious enough. And a little too friendly with Wildcat. I think he's talking about that backdrop he was giving him. Probably. Complaint. For the first time, there was a superpowered villain without a corny costume, at least until page 19. Then you went and spoiled it. (laughs) Okay, I'm kind of with him in that one. Complaint. Somebody tell Neil Adams that Jim Corrigan has a white streak of hair. I kind of fantasised that the white hair was the spectre's hiding place. Oh, I like that idea. Yes, That's very much. Fun. Yeah. Mm. Rave! Neil Adams and the spectre, words can't describe. Fantastic, the ultimate art. Rave! A unique villain. A man with a personality. The unexpected return of Wildcat. And finally, Rave! Former letter call, regular, Mike Friedrich turning in a superb story. And that's from one of our regular letter writers, Lauren Lieberthal, New York, mm-hmm. New York. Well, there we are. Bit of balance there. Gosh, I'm exhausted after all that. It's probably taken as long to do the, the letters <laughs> than it did to do the story, but you know, it's I think so, yeah. But good to see good to see some spirited debate. Yeah. Very, very interesting just to observe the Mm-hmm. Differences between people who are, you know, obviously are keen to see more of the Golden Age characters, but don't really want them to do very much. Indeed. And then the people that are happy to go, right? Well, this is very good. This is different. Mm-hmm. This is progress for a debut writer. I think Mick Friedrich was very lucky to get Neil Adams drawing his first story. Yes. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the story, but I'm just saying it was elevated uh-huh. beyond what would be the standard art style at the time, and would have been a bit more kind of perfunctory. But yeah, Neil Adams really made that sing. I agree. Even through a hairy chest in it, and Ted Grant. That's fine. <laughs> the trademark. The trademark Neil Adams hairy chest. Yeah. There we are. <laughs> God bless them. So yes, that was all those letters there. But yes. if, you, if you want to write to us to tell us what you think about the story, then please let us know what you thought about this issue of Wildcat. 
You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Check out our social media for some excellent bonus material swinging your way on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter we're at podcast underscore earth2 and it's the number two for all our social media. And you can find this episode and indeed all our episodes on our website. That's theearth2podcast.com. So yes, make sure you check that out there. Yep, that's it for issue three of The Spectre. The Spectre will be back very soon indeed. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that. Not starring Wildcat, sadly, but not to worry. Yes, Pete says, let us know what you think. I enjoyed that one very much. Definitely one of my favourites. Yeah, it's good. Out of all the ones we've done so far. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple more remaining sort of Silver Age team-ups of the Golden Age guys. With fewer letters, don't worry. Yeah, they'll be along before too long. Excellent. So on that note, yeah. I've been Peter. And I've been David. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. The title heading winner by plurality. The title heading winner by plurality. The title heading winner by plurality. Reader vote. The title heading winner by reader vote for Spectrographs. Yes, it got the most. There's a word missing there, but I think we've spent 10, 10 hours trying to pronounce it, so don't worry. Let's use that for the outtake.